Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. When you come to realize how dramatically he's changed you, we get so caught up in the busyness of life, the problems, they're real. You know, the, 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 I think it was Hobbes, the old cartoon character, that we have met the enemy and he is us. Sometimes you just look at yourself and you think, I don't know how I, I don't know how I can, I don't know how God even exists, you know, lets me exist. But that's not the reality. Remember, <clears throat> Lucifer is the accuser. Paul says, you know, your own heart sometime will accuse you. Your heart is utterly deceptive and deceiving. God's word is greater than your heart. When you think you are at your worst, Jesus says, no, you're, you, are, you are my best. Not because we've done anything, but because of how he made us. But how he made us is reality. The Lord's been talking to me, and, 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 and he, he just told me, I'm going to do a, a whole series for a while on, on prayer. And, and, but he started out, he said, because the greatest need that we have is revival. And, and it, 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 as, at its basis, revival is where God just invades the world or a spot in the world. Or, you know, it depends on how God can do what he wants to do. But he's looking for willing hearts and willing partners. Now, th th don't get me wrong. There is a part of our Christian life that is reflected in that we are his children. We are his servants. We surrender to him and what he says do, we do. But there is a part of the gospel where God is sitting there saying, will you partner with me? Will you come in as equal partners, work in my firm, I will give... He said, I've given you my name. I've given you my spirit. I've made you just like me. Will you come in and partner with me? Can you imagine the privilege of God? The God of the universe says, I want you as a partner. Now, the great thing about that is, <laughs> he, he's the, you know, well, I'll give you a worldly example. Clark has a trucking business. I could go to Clark, or Clark could come to me and say, brother, I want to partner with you. I've got a successful business. I want to partner with you. Okay. What do I bring to this table? Nothing. <laughs> I got no money, I got no skills, I got no equipment, I got nothing. But if he invites me in, if he invites me in, I can participate. He's providing everything. He's the expert. He's got the equipment. He's got the contacts. He, it's his business. But if he invites me in and says, you are a full partner, 50-50, we are in this together, it was his to give or not give. But he invites me in. All I got to do is show up and, hey, what do you want me to do? 
Well, follow along. Follow along and learn for a while. That's a lifetime right there when you're following Jesus. That's all he asks. Just follow along and learn. Learn of me. When, 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 when the Lord told me, I, I, want, I need my church to partner with me to ask me for revival. That's, that's the essence of what I heard God say. I need you to partner. Ask of me. Well, if, if God wants to bring revival, he'll just bring revival. No. He wants somebody here to ask him. We prayed that when we started the service. The word says, if two or three are gathered, here I am in the midst of you. Well, if we're here, he's here. Yes, but he also wants us to say, Lord, come. We welcome you. He wants to be welcomed. He wants to be invited. He wants us to invite him to show up to just overwhelm people and for revival to break out. Now, part of the reason that I believe he's telling us this, and I'm just going to go through a, uh, some real quick scriptures. There is one of the things that we will have to do in prayer is we're going to have to fight against, and we're going to get into the mechanics and how we do that, but not today. We have to pray against deception. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. All three of those chapters, and, and a few chapters beyond those, Jesus deals with, and in Matthew 24 in particular, he comes out of teaching. Remember, in, in, the, in the Jewish um, um, sacrificial law, when it came up to, to the, the Day of Atonement, you're going to do the sacrifice. Well, they would take, they, they charge you. If you're bringing a lamb for sacrifice, here's what you do. You get your lamb, you pen it up, and for seven days, you inspect it every day. You start at the tail, and you inspect every little part of that lamb. And it cannot have a blemish anywhere. And you get up the next day and you spend the day inspecting that lamb. You can only bring the perfect lamb. Well, that was kind of difficult because you can't find a perfect lamb. They don't exist. Everything's got a blemish if it's a natural thing. But Jesus came as the perfect lamb. Well, for the week between the triumphal entry and, and the crucifixion, Jesus every day went to the temple and taught. He presented himself. He said, come. I'm going to tell you who I am and what I believe, and I'm going to preach to you. You examine and you find fault. You tell me where I am wrong. And they tried. First few days, they tried hard, and they finally just got to the point like, don't throw that first punch. I'm telling you what, you, 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 think, you, you think you hit the knockout punch, and then he just, out of nowhere, he, he comes back and just proves you to be a fool. But he taught. Every day, every day, every day, every day. And at the end of that one of those days, he comes out with the disciples. He's been teaching, and he says, he turns around. They've, they've gone through a valley. They're up on a, on a little hill outside of Jerusalem. He looks back at the temple. This is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. He looks back at that temple, and he says, see that? And every, every Jew was proud of the temple, man. I mean, whew, that is a wondrous thing to see. And he said, I'm telling you, not one stone 
will be left unturned. It's going to be destroyed, nothing left. These disciples grabbed their head and thought, oh my, what do you mean? I thought you were coming into your kingdom. I thought we were going to get ready. We're going to throw the Romans out, and you're telling us they're going to destroy. We're going to lose our temple? I, they didn't understand. So they started asking him questions. And in Matthew 24, he's answering those questions. Luke 13, he, or Mark 13, he gives you some, some different versions of it. And Luke 21, same thing. He's, he's explaining to them why these things have to happen. He's trying to, without revealing it to the enemy, tell them, look, I am the Lamb. That temple's magnificent. It's this temple that counts. And I'm going to offer it up. And in the same way, my temple's going to be destroyed completely, going to be dead in the grave. And it's going to stay dead for three days. But then I'm raising it up. In the same way, that temple has to be destroyed. Because we're entering into a new, new time, new covenant, new, new plan of God. When I come out of the grave, I'm going to bring a lot of people with me, and then people are going to start getting born again. He didn't go into all these details, but we know them now, looking back. And not only are they going to get born again, we're going to put my spirit in them. And they're going to rule and reign in the earth. But... In, in every one of these passages, in, in Matthew 24, four different verses, Jesus uses this phrase, do not be deceived. In Mark 13, he said it three times, do not be deceived. Luke 21, he said the exact same thing. Ephesians 5, 6, do not, or let no one deceive you with empty words. 2 Timothy uh, uh, 3.13, evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, being deceived or deceiving and being deceived. Ephesians 6.12, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We have a fight on our hands, but our number one fight is to fight this deception. Well, the question, what's the deception? Well, it, it, it comes in two forms. One is, you go back to Genesis 3-4. Satan's talking to Eve. And she said, look, God said, don't eat of this, don't touch it. You know, if we do, the day we do it, we're going to die. And Satan looks at her and he says, no, this is the Robert's paraphrase. He's lying to you. The day you eat it, in that day, you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. That was the first temptation, and that was the first deception. Remember, it says it in multiple places in the Bible, Eve was deceived. Adam wasn't. That's why we inherit our sin nature from Adam, not Eve. It was Adam that sinned. It wasn't necessarily Eve sinned, but she did it out of ignorance because she bought into the deception. What was the deception? The deception was, here's good. Remember, one of the Pharisees called Jesus good and he said why do you call me good only God is good goodness is the presence of God it's the 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 nature of God they knew that Adam and Eve knew the nature of God and the character of God more than any creatures that had ever existed they they walked with him talked with him they were just like him they had intimate fellowship they carried his anointing if you could have seen them Literally, they would have looked like Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. The glory of God set on them and just shone forth because they could handle it. They were innocent. They were perfect. They had no sin. 
They knew good. What they didn't know was evil. And, but what they also didn't know was they didn't know human good. They didn't know good that they decided to do something apart from God. And when, when Eve was deceived and she ate, the deception was you, just like Jesus, just like the, well, all, all, all of the Godhead, they're omnipotent, they can, they can, they can do what they want to do. They're sovereign. They, they, God can make the decisions. Now, we're, we're, keep in mind, when you're talking about the sovereignty of God, most, a lot of people, not most, you all don't, because you've been taught and you're smarter than the average group. You weren't supposed to laugh at that. I was trying to give you a compliment. But most people, when you say God's sovereign, they will respond, oh yes, God can do anything. Do you realize God has limits on His sovereignty? Well, I've had people, I've said that, and whoa, the back gets up. If God has limits on His sovereignty, then He's not sovereign. Yes, He does have limits. He has two limitations. He cannot do anything that will violate His character. He has to act within the bounds of His character. His character self it's a self-restriction. When we say God's, God's sovereign, He is sovereign as opposed to there is no outside influence can force God. Yes, that is, that is absolutely true if, if that's your definition of sovereignty. But He is limited because His character limits Him. But there is a second thing that limits Him. It's if He says it's going to be this way, it has to be that way because He cannot lie. He cannot say, I'm going to do it this way, and then in the middle of it saying. Yeah, you know, I think I've changed my mind. Doesn't work that way. Everything that we see, every verse in, in, in the entire Bible, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, is all a battle playing out on the stage of this universe because God said, this is what I'm going to do and Satan said, no, I don't think you can do it. I'm going to put my throne above your throne. And it's all playing out to God, so God can prove him a liar. And he's using mankind to prove that point. That's everything. That is the reason we exist. It's the reason we have the Bible. It's all. Read the very last book. Revelation 1.1, the very first words. The revelation of Jesus Christ. I, I, it just, my skin crawls when I hear people, especially preachers, say, let's turn to the book of Revelations. It's not Revelations. There's only one revelation. It's the revelation of Jesus. The whole Bible is a revelation of Him because it's all about Him. He's the central character in all of this. Well, well, the deception is to get that revelation wrong. And I'll tell you what, it, 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 we, see, we saw the first one in Genesis 3-4 when, when Eve got deceived. She thought she could be sovereign. You see that in the world somewhere down the road. I, I don't know if we'll get to it next week or three weeks. I don't know. We're going to go through... Second um, uh, Timothy chapter three, where, where Paul says, "In the last days, perilous times will come. Before, because men will be lovers of themselves, they will." And then there's a whole long list of things that they're going to be. <clears throat> the reason they are that way, and you see this in the world. It's my world. I'm the captain of my ship. 
They got that Frank Sinatra song on. I did it my way. Lots of luck with that one. I love the song. It's a beautiful song. It's just a lie. You can do it your way. And your way, there is a way that seems right unto man, and that way will lead to death, and that death means hell. The, 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 the greatest deception that we have is to think that this world is... Oh, how do I put this? Lord, help me with this. It's hard to phrase this. Our, our greatest deception is to think that this physical world, this universe is greater or more real than the spiritual world. This world had a beginning. Even secular scientists will tell you this universe had a beginning. Now, they will, if they're materialists, which a lot of them are, they will try to explain away the creation of it. And, and you know, the, the greatest one was, well, nothing split into two parts. I'm thinking, really? What, what was that nothing? Well, it was a quantum soup. Well, who created that soup that, that split it? You, you can't get, at some point, you can't do enough mental exercises to get around the fact that at one point nothing existed, and then something existed. That's just a fact. That, that's, that, that's creation. Well, you have to ask yourself, which is greater, the creator or the creation? The spirit, which is more real, the spiritual realm that created this natural realm or the natural realm? For us, this natural realm is really real. When I get tired, when it, you know, I, I hate to admit this, proves I'm an old man. When 8 o'clock rolls around, I get up out of my chair, it hurts a little bit to walk wherever I'm going to go, whatever I want to do. There's a few aches and pains. There's aches and pains I don't have at 4 in the morning or 3 in the morning when I crawl out of bed. I get up, I'm, hey, ready for a new day. This world wants to impose itself on you. And our, our mortal bodies are going to get old. They're going to get creaky and, and cranky and, and things will go wrong. And eventually... It'll be condemned and we will have to move out. That's what we call death, physical death. But remember, when your body dies, you do not die. You never die. Sinner or saint never dies. If by death you mean you cease to exist. Nobody ever ceases to exist. You are facing eternity in the spiritual realm because you are a spiritual creature at heart. And that spiritual creature is, is, is greater, has more influence, is more real in one sense than your fleshly body. You just can't, you have a hard time interacting with that spiritual side. Now if you are a sinner, you're going to spend an eternity confined with Satan in the lake of fire and, but it's going to be eternity. There will be no time. There, if you are a saint, if you are a Christian, you're going to spend eternity united with God 
in the spiritual realm, there, well, there will be a new creation and a new heaven and a new earth. I have no idea what that's going to look like other than I can tell you it's the, the laws of physics that we know don't exist in that new realm. It's all going to be so different we can't recognize it. But that spirit is more real than this. I have a hard time recognizing that. But that's what I believe, that's what Paul's talking about in Romans 12, where he says, let me get over to the first verse. Paul said it, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, these living bodies, a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable by God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, though, says, do not be conformed to this world. That, that world, or that word, uh, conformed, is... Suskematizo, and it literally, the, 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 the first part of it is schema, the schematic. And it, it, it's really, it says, don't take the outward form and rule your life by the outward appearance of things. It says, but be transformed, be metamorphosized. Let the inside life, the spirit life, transform your outward life rather than allowing your outward life to transform your inward life. It's basically, he's, Paul is saying here, be inside-minded rather than body-conscious. Be, 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 be um, uh, righteousness-conscious instead of sin-conscious. Be power-conscious rather than weakness-conscious. Paul said it in, in, in Corinthians. He said, look, I had, I had this thorn in the flesh, and I kept asking God, take it away. And by the way, and I, I don't have time to go, but that, that thorn in the flesh is not sickness and disease. It's, it's Jewish proselytizers that followed him and stirred up crowds to persecute him. It's about 90% of the persecution he got was from those, that thorn in the flesh. And he said, and I kept telling God, take this away, take this away, take this away. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Now, most theologians will take that phrase and say, see, God's just saying, you need to just bear up under it. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, God, Paul, I've put the power within you to deal with the situation. Look on the inside of yourself and use the authority you have to do what you know to do. Sometimes we, we just get so caught up in the circumstances that we forget that we have authority and we have power. We have the ability to enforce God's will in our lives. But we have to look on the inside towards our spirit rather than paying attention to our outward circumstances. And here, here's, and I've got like eight minutes and I'm going to do my best to finish this up. Let me read you a few scriptures. We were there in... in, in uh, Revelation a minute ago. Let's go to chapter 1 of Revelation, verse 18. This is Jesus revealing himself to the Apostle John. He said, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen? So be it. And I have the keys of hell and death. That's Jesus declaring, I've got all authority. I decide who comes in, who goes out. I'm the one. Look to me. Revelation 3, 7, this is the angel talking to the church of Philadelphia, which was the faithful church. And he says, these things say to he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, who shuts and no one opens. 
Jesus is saying the person who is faithful and true has the keys to open doors that no man can, can shut and to close doors that no man's going to be open. He's saying, you, Philadelphia Church, you have my authority. Put it to work. Here's the proof, Matthew 16, 18, and 19. This is Jesus talking to, to Peter. This is where Peter got the revelation that Jesus was the Messiah. In verse 18, he says, I also say to you, say to you that you are Peter, little stone, and on this rock, huge rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth you will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Basically, what, what Jesus is saying to Peter, he's saying, Peter, look, you're a little stone, but you just had a huge mountain of a rock, which was the revelation that I am the Messiah. The, the thing that Jesus built his church on is not the man Peter. He wasn't strong enough to bear that weight, to bear the responsibility. But the thing Jesus built His church on was the revelation of who Jesus is. When you preach the gospel to a sinner, and that sinner recognizes, I'm a sinner, which is usually, that's the easy part. Everybody knows they're sinners. <laughs> you know, unless you're real religious. Religious person, I'll tell you, they are the hardest person to reach with the gospel. Someone who thinks they're okay. Someone who's down and out in the gutter, they're easy to minister to. They know they need help. But the hard part is getting them to get a revelation of who Jesus is and that Jesus is the Messiah. But when they get that, they can come into the kingdom. It's just a quick decision. Wow! This way, the way I've done it, got lots of problems. But Jesus will save me, redeem me, bring me out of all this stuff. If they'll surrender to that, they're in the kingdom immediately. That's the revelation that built the church on it. But now here, he also said, when, you, when I build this, you're going to have some keys. You're going to be able to shut things here on earth. Heaven will back you up. You're going to be able to open some doors here on earth. Heaven will back you up. That's what it means when it says what you bind in, in earth will be bound in heaven. It's just saying heaven's got you. I got your back, Jack. Jesus talking to you. What does it mean? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. We don't have to go there. But, but in, in the first 10 verses of, of 1 Corinthians 10, Paul goes through and lists all these things that the Jews went through. And in verse 11 he said, all of these happened as examples to us. Well, I want to look at one of the examples here in the last four or five minutes. This is Isaiah chapter 22. We're going to look at, at two people. The first one is Shibna. Verse 15 says, Thus says the Lord God of hosts, Go proceed to this tu steward, to Shibna, who is over the house, and say this, and he's going to rebuke him. Basically, Shibna was the, the steward of the house. means he carries the key, the key ring. He opens the door, closes the door. He lets people in and out. He decides who gets to come out. Well, Shibna got caught up with himself and constructed a, a sepulcher, a tomb, and he thought... I'm so important, when I die, they're going to bury me with the kings. And God rebuked him. He said, not going to happen. But the interesting part, if you read, if you look at what the, the name Shibna means, it means vigor. 
And what I saw when I, what I thought of when I saw that, I thought of Saul versus David. Saul was tall, he was handsome. David was just a little squirt. Teenager, redheaded. That's where we get the term redheaded stepchild. Even his family didn't like him. Send David out in the field. Get him out of the house. We don't like that little runt. He was very disliked in his own country. It, 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 it's also, if you think, we, we, I talked a minute ago about 2 Timothy 3, where, where it talks about in the last days, these are the traits of the people. At the end of all that list of traits, Paul says to Timothy, he said, um, these people have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. In other words, if you look at them from the outside, they look like good Christians. They're moral, they dress nice, they talk nice, they got all the right words, but there's no power on the inside of them. They're not born again. They don't have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. He says, these people avoid. Stay away from them. That's a pretty good warning. When Paul says you need to stay away from this kind of person... You need to stay away from that kind of person. Well, Shibna is one of those. Shibna looks good, but Shibna's proud. He, he rebukes, in fact, verse 19, So I will drive you out of office, and from your position, he will pull you down. Verse 20, though, he introduces another character here, a new, a, a different steward of the house. In verse 20 it says, Then it shall be in that day. A lot of times when you see that phrase, that day, it's talking about this day. It's talking about the last days. So this is, this is remember, 1 Corinthians 10, 11, all of these things happened as our examples so that we could learn. This is God comparing Shibna, who looked good, smelled good, Everything worked good, but he was proud, and God said, I'm throwing you out. He's comparing him now to this new guy. In verse 20, it says, It shall be in that day that I will call my servant Elikam, the son of Halkiah. Wow. I'm glad I don't have to speak Hebrew all the time. What do those names mean? The dad, Halkiah, means my portion is Jehovah. He centered in on God. This is who I'm looking to as Jehovah. His son, who is going to be the, 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 uh, the steward, Elikam, literally that name means God raises him up. And immediately, because I, I put together in that day, which is referring to our day, the last days, and he, God raises him up, I thought of Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. Even though when we were dead in our trespasses, Christ died for us, raised us up. And seated us with, with Him in heavenly places. I didn't deserve it, but at my very worst, when I was an enemy of God, God came in and said, come on. And He raised me up, and I'm sitting with Him right now in heavenly places. That's where my authority is. But notice what it says here. He says, I will clothe him with your robe. We have on that robe of righteousness. I will strengthen him with your belt. Man, I'm thinking Ephesians, the, the, the chapter about the armor of God. He said, I will, I will commit your responsibility into his hands. He shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. The key of the house of David. Remember what we read to the Philippian church or the, the church at Philadelphia? He has the key of David. Maybe that was earlier we read it. Re Revelation 3. 
But we have the key of David. This is the guy that gets the key of David. I will lay on his shoulder so he shall open, no one shall shut. He shall shut and no one shall open. I will fasten him as a peg in a secure place and he will become a glorious throne to his father's home. God said, I am going to be on him so much, it's going to be like taking a big peg with a big mallet and I'm going to drive him in the ground and ain't nobody going to move him out of his spot. Jesus said, you reside in my hand and no man can snatch you out. You're part of him. You're exalted with him. And he's saying, I've given you the keys. This is my house. Remember, the world is his footstool. The world belongs to him. The planet earth is Jesus's, not Satan's. He has the keys of hell and death. He has the keys of authority. And he's telling us, exercise your authority. Shut some things up and open some things up. And the number one thing we need to do is we need to pray that this deception is broken. First of all, over my own mind. Because I, I, I said it last week, and I, I think I picked on poor Mark. I, I looked like a deer in the headlights when I did it. I, I demanded of Mark, teach me Russian, I think it was. And he was like, whoa. And he couldn't do it. Why? Because he doesn't know it. If you ain't got it, you can't give it. It's not bad good English, but you get the point. You can only give what you've got. Well, we've got that. We've got the authority, but we have to get a revelation of our place. My place is I am great with Jesus. I, my authority rests in the spiritual realm. My spirit is greater than my mind. My spirit is greater than my body. My spirit is greater than any spirit in this world. And Jesus says, just listen to me and bind something. Bind that spirit of deception. If you don't think there's a spirit of deception on the world at large and on a, in our country in particular, you've been living in a cave. I mean, just, just in the last month, there was a scientist in Sweden who, I mean, proposed with all seriousness that we are going to become, and this is the same garbage we've heard it. I heard it, the, 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 the book, The Population Bomb, back in the 70s. By the time we get to the 80s and 90s, we're going to be, there's going to be mass starvation all over the world. We can't raise enough crops to feed the world. And, and, and what happened? We got to the 80s and 90s, food got cheaper. The only reason anyone in the entire planet Earth that is, is hungry is because of, of government rules or warfare. That's it. There's enough food to feed everybody to the point where we're all fat. The United States is proof of that. There is no shortage of food. But they're saying now, this guy's proposing, oh... Starvation's coming. Starvation's coming. We're going to have to start examining if we can start taking the people as they die and recirculate their flesh and become cannibals so we'll be able to survive. Remember that old movie, Soylent Green? One of the world's worst movies. But they prophesied it. Even Hollywood prophesied it back in the 60s. This week, now I, I think the lady, she was either mentally ill or she was putting on a show. I'm not sure which. But she decided to troll AOC. She went to one of her town halls 
and got up and, 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 and spoke and pulled her, her jacket off. She had a t-shirt on that said, we only have a few months for the planet to survive and the only way we're going to survive is we have to start eating babies. And she, from all appearances, she was serious. She's either crazy or she was putting on a show. And I'm not, I really, I'll be honest, I don't know what she was doing. But the, the sad part was, AOC, she's a congresswoman. She has a lot of respect from a lot of people. The first thing on my mind would have been, oh honey, if you, if you think it's time to eat babies, you need help. Can we get you some help? She tried to give a serious answer. Well, that might be a little extreme at this point. A little extreme at this point? That's real extreme at any point. But it didn't seem extreme to them. Remember, there are people out there today, Planned Parenthood today, today, this week, not only are they aborting babies, but they are, they are taking those babies. In some cases, they're allowing them to be born alive so they can harvest their hearts while they're still beating, put them in a solution that will feed that heart, and they can deliver that heart to a researcher while it is still beating. And we're not shocked by that. God, help us. The church is as deceived as the world. If that doesn't anger you, you're, you're deceived. And we have got to deal with that deception. If we don't, we are, our world is going to go to hell. It's fast. It's, it's running as hard right now as it can go. There is a spirit of deception that's been launched out into the land. And if we don't deal with it, it's not going to get done. It's our responsibility as the church to bind that spirit and then preach the truth. And not me. I've got a pulpit and I will preach it and I preach it hard sometimes. But you're called to preach it. You're called to preach it to your families, to your friends, to the people you run into at the store, to the people out on the streets. Now you don't have to get in their face. You don't have to get worked up like I get worked up. But you do. You are called to tell them, look, do you have problems? Here's the answer. His name is Jesus. There is an answer to every problem you have. But you are going to have to bind the enemy. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The eyes of the unbelieving have been blinded. They asked Moses when he came down off the mountain, put a veil across your face. The glory we stand under is unveiled. You can't hide from it unless you put a blinder over your face, which the world does. I don't want to see that. I don't want to hear that. Don't tell me that. I don't believe that. That may be your truth. That's not my truth. No, that is the truth. The spiritual realm is, is bigger and stronger and more important than the natural realm. And the only thing that will pierce that is the truth of the gospel, the Word of God. And I've gone longer than I wanted to. So next week we are going to come back. We're going to look at this. We are that steward in Isaiah 20, 22, 20 through 23. I invite you, go back and read that. Read that in conjunction with, with the, 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 the letter to the church of Philadelphia. 
in, in Revelation chapter 3. We have those keys. We are the steward. We can unlock the doors. Every morning the steward will go down and unlock the door and open the door and say, okay, you come in. No, you stay out for a while. You come talk. You sit here. That was their job. And our job is to unlock the key and unlock the door to people's hearts by praying for them. Binding that spirit, blinding spirit that keeps them from knowing the gospel. Mainly where, you, where you're going to be most effective is preaching to people you know. And you will have to precede it with prayer. Tons of prayer. Prayer softens the ground. Prayer prepares their heart. Prayer backs off the circumstances of life to where they can hear. And then you have to go in gently with love. You don't have to go in and beat there. You are ungodly sinner. Just walk away. You've, you're not going to persuade people. I mean, that'd be my, me like walking up to a, a, a husband and a wife, just have a newborn baby and say, wow, that is one ugly baby. <laughs> I'm probably not going to be invited to stay around and share. No, I'm going to come in and I'm going to say, it's a lovely child. But you notice, I, I, there's a problem. There's a problem here. Have you asked the doctors about this? There's an answer to this. I see something wrong here. I had a friend, his daughter was born with cerebral palsy and they didn't know it when she was first born. And, and she was supposed to, he was supposed to deliver the baby, but he couldn't. She was born at home. She came real fast. And they took a picture of her to the doctor to give him a picture. This is, this is Julie. She, the, she was born. You didn't get to deliver her. And he took one look at that picture and he says, is this child seeing a pediatrician? He said, no, not yet. He said, you need to get her there and you need to get her there now. Because there's problems. I can see it. He recognized the problem, but he had an answer. He had an answer. Go get her help. We can recognize the problem, but you need to come in love, come in compassion, and preach and say, do you know Jesus? Have you had an encounter with Him? Have you, have you invited Him to come in and change you? Because when it comes right down to it, Hobbes was right. I've met the enemy. I are he. I'm my greatest enemy. Even after I'm saved, I am my greatest enemy. I don't have to worry about what the devil does to me. I screw up more than enough to keep... He, he, he doesn't even have to come around my house. I got enough to deal with my stuff. But for others, I got to preach. I got to bind him off my home. I got to bind him off of my mind. We have to take on the spirit of deception. And we have the tools. We have the authority. The question is, are we going to do it? Are we going to do it? If we don't, it doesn't get done. Now, here's the question. Do you have something that you're deceived in? Do you have an area of your life? Because you can be saved. We just read it. Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Do you have something, some way that you view the world that's wrong? Well, not that I know of. Have you asked? Have you gotten honest before God? Say, Lord, I need you to reveal to me where, where, where my, you know, my own stinking thinking. If you do, He will answer you. He will bring it. It may not come in 30 seconds after you ask, 
You may have to meditate on it for a while. You may have to get in the Word and allow the Word to change you, to show you. But we need to ask Him, change my heart, change my mind. And then be open to let Him change you. And your flesh won't like it. I guarantee you, your flesh, none of us like change. We all like to just, this is how I do it. Well, sorry, but you're doing it wrong. Well, tell me that. Tell me that. Oh, that's, that is the spirit of deception. When, when you feel that rise up in you, you want to put your hand out and say, uh-uh, no, no, I don't hear that. That's your flesh rising up. That's the spirit of deception rising up. That's the spirit of Satan rising up within you saying, don't listen to them, listen to me. And you need to take that authority, exercise it on yourself. Grab yourself. Straighten up. Straighten up. Let's get in the Word. Let's change how we think. Is there something wrong here? Evidently. Otherwise, God wouldn't be dealing with me about this. <clears throat> and if He deals with you, just surrender to Him. Lord, you know how I need to change. And then be willing to change. When He points it out to it, remember 1 John 1, 9. If I confess my sins, He is faithful to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. He's the forgiver, the cleanser, the, 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 the one who brings in new righteousness when I'm not acting righteous. Don't believe the enemy when he says, oh, you're so ugly, stay out of God's presence. He'll swat you down. No, he'll embrace you and clean you up. Don't run from God. Run to God. That's where your answer is. Amen? Father, I thank you for this people. I thank you for your word. I just thank you, Father, that as we go through this week, you are going to continue to, to deal with our hearts, every one of us, that we will, will see areas that we need to, that we have been deceived about our own lives, about our own inadequacies, about our own limitations, and come to realize that that in Christ we are seated in heavenly places and we have no limitations. We can do everything you've called us to do. And I declare, Father, that we are going to stand up and take our place and start binding this spirit of deception off of our own minds, off of, of, of our, our cities, off of our state, off of our nation, off of this world. And we are going to, before you come back, Jesus, we are going to plunder the kingdom of darkness and bring souls in so that we can bring a, a huge, bountiful crop into your kingdom, into relationship with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road. Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.